Welcome to my podcast, Coach G, Transforming Athletes and Purpose-Driven People. The goal of my show is to inspire rugby players, athletes and everyday people so that you can chase your goals, overcome those obstacles, turn your vision into a reality. I'll be inviting unbelievable guests in the world of sports as well as the corporate space, sharing their tools and their knowledge on performance, mindset, mental resilience and entrepreneurship. I am your host, Coach G. Gertrude Stienkamp. I'm a former international rugby player and World Cup winner with South Africa in 2007. I've been retired since 2017 from the game of rugby and today I'm a professional rugby and scrum coach. I am passionate about helping rugby players improve their performance on the rugby field as well as front row rugby players to dominate the scrum. Another passion of mine is to help people develop mental resilience so that they can transform physically, mentally and emotionally. And every single week I'll be launching two new episodes. On Tuesday it will be a Q&A interview with an unbelievable athlete or a specialist in the corporate world. And on Fridays, it will be my solo episode where I'll be sharing my knowledge and experience in elite sports, but also life in general. Hey guys, welcome to another new episode on my podcast, Coach G. I'm really looking forward to today's chat with the legendary Joe Fanikar. He's a former international rugby player. He played for the Lions, the Stormers and Toulon. He has also won the European Cup with Toulon while he was here in France. Joe has had an amazing journey. He has faced loads of injuries and also massive challenges in the game, but he has always bounced back. Joe is an amazing human being. He is passionate and he is filled with energy and he has an amazing story to share. So you guys better take notes and listen up. Yes, okay. Welcome everybody to my new podcast, Coach G. All right, so I've got a special guest with us today. He's the big man, Joe Fanicker. Joe, brother, get a touch. Boom. Oh, you big brother. Touch it. Touch it. So good. So good, Coach G. So happy to be here with you today, brother. Oh, man, I've been excited the whole day about this chat. Just after our last talk on Instagram, it was just unbelievable just uh, to hear your journey, my man. And, and you, I know you've got lots of tools and lots of gems to share tonight. But, you know, Joe, you know, for those of the people that don't know you, because I've got a vast majority of people following me at the moment, but if you can tell us a bit about yourself, you know, you don't have, I'm going to be deep diving into your career. Don't worry. But, you know, who are you? What are you all about? Oh, brother. Well, you know, obviously, as you would, would know, um, I was always, from a young age, I was always really passionate about, uh, about playing sports, uh, being out in the open. Very much preferred that from being in the classroom, you know. <laughs> but, and, uh, yeah, you know, always, always kind of had that um, will to want to be out there on the pitch, you know. Um, and then, so, so just, yeah, just to, just to um, share a little bit of, of that journey. Uh, obviously, I came through uh, the ranks uh, in South Africa. And at some point in time, I realized, oh, wow, this potentially could be a career. And, um, and obviously, as you would know, playing rugby in South Africa was such a great honor. Um, and it was always something when we were schoolboys, we always looked up to all these guys, you know, and. Um, and we, they were revered and we put them on pedestals. And uh, so once coming into that setup, it was kind of surreal to, to come into that setup um, and then be amongst some of these living legends, you know, that were, that were amongst us. Um, and then, yeah, just to play the game of rugby, what an absolute privilege it was. Um, I, I still, to this day, you know, even now I stopped playing six years ago, but um but yeah, even to this day, when I watch games, I'm still so passionate about the sport and uh, and really, uh, really the contact aspect of it. It's funny, but I know you're still still very involved with you know your scrummaging and yeah. uh, 
teaching these lighties how to really get stuck <laughs> in there. And, <laughs> and I see some of your trainings too, brother. It's, it's really exceptional. Still waiting for you, brother. Still waiting for you, but I think you're scared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think what I think I've, I've got to, I've got to, at some point, we've got to do a live or something. And I've got to, I've got to take on the Coach G training session for sure. No, we definitely, we need to schedule that in the next few weeks for man. But you know, Joe, yeah. just like I'm a bad host, you know, I'm still new to this whole podcasting thing. So just for those of you listening, to give you some background, Joe is a Springbok legend. Joe, how many test matches did you play for the box? Uh, brother, I think I played roughly around 20, 50, 52, 52, 52 tests. Yeah. 52, man, he's been around. I remember, you know, Joe, we used to play together for the South Africa in the 21s. And, you know, Joe, those are awesome times. I remember back in, and I think it was Australia, we were over there, you know, we were a bunch of young bloods, crazy. And then you had this quick uprising to the spring box, you know, and we're going to be deep diving today into the challenges of what it takes to play at the highest level, but also getting to understand what you are up to, who you are. That's so important. Mm. People always see us this these role models. They put us on this pedestal. But Joe, at the end of the day, we're human beings, right? We make mistakes. We feel pressure like any other human being. So I want people to get to know you today. So Joe, you know, sure. I want to go back to that moment though, when you got that call up for the spring box, you know, South Africans, people don't get it, you know, becoming a spring box and rugby in South Africa is like a religion. All right. We all have mm. different beliefs, but like rugby is almost everything. But what did it mean to you when you got called up for the spring box? Well, I mean, as you say that, it's funny, but I get goosebumps all over the body. It's like you're taking me back to that time, you know. Um, I think also the, the, the one thing I wanted to share was also that obviously with our um, rugby tradition and our history, uh, it, was, it was the triumphant like 1995 World Cup winning team that kind of really uh, Nelson Mandela, his journey with the Springbok rugby team, Chester Williams being included, all of that for me was really monumental in my own growth. I remember, I think I was about 15 years old. Um, we were just a group of youngsters watching this uh, team go on to, to win the World Cup. And, um, and just specifically what Nelson Mandela did for our country and, and how all colors, races, cultures, how everyone kind of became united through that process. And it showed me how powerful sport actually is in form of like unification. Obviously with a man that had been in jail for 27 years that came out with the sympathy, this compassion, this love, and really focused and saw, okay, this is the way to go. This is how you unify a nation. And I can remember forever on after that, the Rainbow Nation, you know, um, how, how, how for one day, everyone forgot about the color of their skin and, uh, and, and, and kind of really came together as beings. And for me, that was something magical um, just to experience that. And, and so that really was like one of the parts of my own growth in, in rugby itself and really feeling like this, this big, big passion for a sport and, and realizing how impacting it could be. And so, and so to take you to that first test match, you know, I... I obviously wasn't the conventional route through. I played, I didn't play any like senior rugby, actually. I just went from that World Cup that we played, the under-21 yeah. World Cup was. We we went, I went straight from that into the squad. So for me, it was kind of as I say said before, but it was surreal, the whole thing. I mean, getting selected at that age and then going in and then you look to the right, you've got Joost van der Vestes and you look to the left, you've got Andre Fenter. And these are guys that you were like, they were your idols when you were growing up playing ruggers, you know? And so, and so yeah, just, just the mere fact of being in that company, I think obviously you recognize that you need to step your game up no matter what, you know? And um, I, think, I think in some, some respect, it, it helped a lot being a youngster because, um, you know, you've got the juice, you've got the gas, you maybe haven't had as many injuries. And so um, definitely I felt that I didn't feel like out of sorts when I got in there. Um, at first, yes, for sure. You're like, wow, like all I've got to do is my basics. Rack, <laughs> catch the ball. <laughs> Rack, catch the ball and tackle. Those are the three things. You just remember those three things. And then, and then your brother, the first, 
test match, I actually got included. I think Rassi uh, was injured. And uh, I basically got pulled into the test match um, at Newlands um, for my very first game. And I was sitting on the bench and, um, and uh, I was just watching the game from the side. And just all these thoughts are running through my mind. Like, you know, and, and as I said before, like, just the basics. Just rack, catch the ball, <laughs> and make sure you tackle. Those three things. That's it. That's it. And so got the call in like 17 minutes, uh, 17 minutes left in the game. And uh, oof, was like super nervous, like goosebumps everywhere. And just like, okay, here it goes. Yeah, you go, you know. And, and then running on and, and, and just like looking around and just seeing like, players that you know as well like I said you revered when you were a youngster and now you're kind of like coming up against them and like obviously Jonah Lomu like you just <laughs> look at the man and uh kind of you want to pass out you know but um but yeah the ball got kicked and I finally have got in this position I grabbed the ball and I just it was like run as fast as you can but as I ran I got there I got about 30 meters down the down the touchline and uh, yeah, brother. So for me, the first real experience was was really great. You know, um, I had a, a fa- I had an ex- a wonderful experience. Um, but as as you said before, you know, it's when we delve deeper into these things, we start to see that when youngsters come onto the scene very young, you know, they really have to be mentored in yeah. in their process. Um, and I know you're working with a lot of youngsters now, and I think that that's what's absolutely crucial is that they have someone in their lives that they can really look up to that they that has been there that has done it and that has has the necessary experience to share with them uh when when they uh when they go through these processes so for me coming on i i was like still a light to you know um i think in a lot of ways uh, as i as i grew as i grew further I was never kind of the person that loved to be told what to do in the sense that I never wanted to have like authority over me. And I think that that was one of the things I kind of always thought, yeah, you know, I can perform on the pitch, but I can also go out at night and I can yeah. also have fun, with, you know, with my mates and enjoy. So, so that maybe, maybe that was counterproductive in some ways when I was, but, that was my free spirit that just wanted to uh, wanted to really enjoy the experience, but thoroughly, you know. I was just about to say that, man. You were free spirit. I remember you back in the day. You were like on the field, off the field. Um, you know, it was just honestly, it was intoxicating to be around. You know, you you were always such a great person, and uh, you still are. But especially in a team oh, environment, you were always there for your brothers, which is important. And you know, you touch base on something. You know, Joe. You know, some of us we became Springboks at the young age, or some of us became professional rugby players at the young. But you know, no one really prepared us for everything, the the pressure, the criticism. Um, you know, sometimes that moment of anxiousness, anxiety, and you know, we see a lot of people now talking about depression and all those type of things. And if you look at realistically, we all had different ways of lashing out. Some of us were indulging. Some of us were going out and about. You know, it was just ways of, it was coping mechanisms. You know, we are older today. We can look back at our careers now and we can actually realize there are certain key moments or key events, all right, where you were actually under pressure. And when Mm. you were picking up weight or whether you were going out, having late nights and not recovering the way you should, it basically came down to like, you didn't even know it then. You were under pressure and you were just looking for a safe space. And I think this is important with the, with the modern day game, seeing that there are so many things that are coming out today that we players were struggling. And if I look back at myself as well, Joe, there were times I was under the belt, extreme pressure, you know, mm. facing the pressure of being, do I merit being there? You know, I was criticized mm. early in my career. I was just there because of the color of my skin, you know, all those type mm. of things. So I always in the beginning felt this urge to prove myself, but it's so important to have those mentors, you know, people that bring you through the ranks. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if it exists today, you know, because you're seeing a younger group of players, you know, you're not seeing your old school players there anymore. But Joe, what I want to touch base of is that, you know, you played for the Springboks and I want to touch on, this is a bit tough for me to talk about. All right. You played for this team in Cape Town, all mm. right, Stormers. All right. 
I used to play. I never really lost against them. Practically won every single game. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but no, you don't, bro. <laughs> I'm just joking, man. man yeah, so obviously, you had your Springbok career and you played for the Stormers, man. Um, so I was that vibe, Cape Town. I'm always telling people. I have the impression, you know, you in Johannesburg, all right, and I always make this joke. Maybe it's not really a joke. People in Johannesburg, they speak really fast. Then you come to Cape Town and everything's like in slow motion. You know, like people are like, hey, brew, I just hook a left over here. Then you get to the fish and chip shop. Then you grab yourself a drink, nice and slow. When Joe Berg is much faster, it's like, no, don't go that way. You take that route, no, go there. Blah, blah, blah. And then just crazy. So, <laughs> how was your experience in Cape Town, man? How did you enjoy that being a boy, boy from Josie going all the way to the Cape? You know, they, they, they say the lights, you know, the lights that put you in, right? <laughs> no, I think. Brother, you know, the, the, the big thing with, with my entry into Cape Town is that there was a ton of hype. You know, um, I think Bob Skinstad, was, he had come to the end of his career and, uh, or he had moved overseas. And so there was this massive hype. And, you know, people were like, oh, you know, they signed, they're signing Joe Van Ikek after the World Cup in 2003. So it was like, okay, you're a marquee, uh, marquee signing. And, uh, and, you know, the money that they were talking about, you know, is like <laughs> in the papers, come on, man. <laughs> but like, I think that the, it was like this built, built up thing. And what happened is in the World Cup 2003, I actually got injured. So I, I did my uh, right knee cruciate ligaments. So when I got to Cape Town, I couldn't actually get out on the pitch. And that was, I think that was like, my, just for my own start and my progress in Cape Town, it wasn't the best thing because then I was just on the side doing my re-education. I was still training damn hard and still doing what I had to do. But, but you know, then the, the night's out, then people see you on a night out and they're like, oh, what's he doing out? He's getting all this cash and da, da, da. you know, stories start. And so I think that that was one of the things that the, the you know, the gossip and those kind of things that created this, this energy. And so, so when I actually did come back, I think I was coming back on, you know, not on, uh, uh, not in the best way in a sense, because I was like, there was all these, this chat and things that were going on about, you know, the marquee signing and that he's getting all this cash and he drives a BMW and he <laughs> has a blonde girlfriend. <laughs> it's like, it's like all the things. That you, but anyway, he was such a cliche, anyway, brother. He was such a cliche. <laughs> I mean, I didn't do myself favors coming to New Zealand. I mean, New Zealand to Newlands with the top down girlfriend in the right seat. And I, you know, <laughs> but as I say, you know, oh. it was like I, when you're young, bro, what do you, as you, as you, as you mentioned before, when, when you're a youngster, like you don't deal with these things always in the right way. You know, yeah. you don't know how to deal, deal with. And, and as you say, stress, brother, like with all the pressure of that and then, like having to fill in the space of, of, of one of the legends of Newlands, you know, it's like, and then also just the mere fact of playing uh, rugby in, and growing up in Johannesburg and, and like forming a career there and, and then actually leaving there and going to Cape Town. Well, what a stunning place. I mean, the most beautiful place, uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world, you know, and, and so my time there, I would say was indifferent. Let's just say that the beauty that existed there, brother, was 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 beyond, you know, um, that from a rugby perspective, uh, you know, I can't really I can't really say that it was that I played like some of the best rugby of my life there. You know, um, I think that there were things, obstacles that were put in place that I had to juggle that I was not possibly able to cope with at that point in time in my life. And so. So there was a lot of things going on and a lot of distraction, off-field things and stuff like that. And, and so, you know, did I, did I take pride in, in wearing the Stormers jersey? Yes, I did. Every time I went out on the pitch, I gave it my absolute all. As you would know, when you put on a jersey, mm -hmm. you're giving it your absolute all, you know. Um, and so, so I, can never, I can never say that I didn't uh, give everything that I had. Um, I think that in that period too, there were some niggling injuries that came, mm. came up, but brother, yeah, I take it 
I take it for what it is now. I take it as, as a massive blessing, you know, to go and play rugby down in the Cape. Um, and also some of the players there that, that we played with, some exceptional players, that guys that, you know, went on to, to massive international careers, captaining the Springboks. Um, just awesome guys, you know, like the likes of John de Villiers and Skulk uh, Burger, Skulk Brits. Like all of these players, man, like such exceptional players, good men. Uh, Marius Joubert was also one of the one of the good good friends uh, back in the day. Uh, Bolo Conradi, like yeah. all these guys, like just such such amazing characters, you know. And so, so I really did. I I as I said, it was indifferent from a rugby perspective, but I really had an amazing time down in Cape Town. Yeah, man, I always believe you know everything happens for a reason, you know. Sometimes life throws these crazy challenges up. And, you know, people don't always, we always, don't always talk about this, you know. The pressure we face in the media in South Africa, you know, sometimes they will sing your praises and sometimes will break. I mean, I remember in 2009, I had one of the worst games of my career and I got stuffed up in the scrums, like in bed, like humiliated. Even my dad said to me, son, I think you should just go visit your mates in the UK. Don't come back to South Africa. Because I played against this Italian prop, Castro Giovanni, which you know very well. <laughs> I think you guys yes, played yes. against as well at Toulon. And he annihilated me. The headlines were saying, Gertrude has been Castro, you know, so stuff like that. <laughs> so imagine the amount of self-doubt and all these things. And People don't get it that sometimes you go through a dip in your career. Sometimes you don't perform the way you should. And yes, it's your job. You are getting paid. But man, for Pete's sakes, we are human beings. Like whenever I wore a jumper, I never went out there half-assed or anything like that. It's just sometimes what I gave might not have been the best what people expected from me. But that was the mm. best that I could physically and emotionally give at that stage you know it's it's a lot of pressure now especially once you wore that springbok jersey and it gets taken away from you you want to get back mm -hmm. sometimes you try hard and you just end up doing wrong things and then you get frustrated you know and and i think that's a lot of the stuff that we don't talk about you know when when we get frustrated how we handle it. like i remember nobody's ever came to us joe speaking about okay if you're having a tough situation this is how you bounce back if you had a bad performance, this is how you bounce mm -hmm. back. You know, when I'm working now with current players and other athletes and I'm talking about things, okay, right. So if you have a poor performance, this is your process. And they're like, oh, wow, it's amazing. I'm like, what do you mean? Wow, this is, this, you should know this. No, but no one mm. does this, you know. They got all these GPS stats. They got all these key performance indicators. But I I'm a firm believer, Joe, they have forgotten that athletes are human beings. You know, if I just look at the way coaches, you know, treat certain players, and I'm not here to judge, you know, some of those coaching mm -hmm. styles work. You know, you've played under a few uh, very special coaches, my man. <laughs> special coaches, we can put it that way. So I'm not here yeah. to judge, but I am striving, striving to be different. You know, I'm striving to give players the tools and also to educate them. To educate him, you know, yeah. you will, what you're experiencing is normal. You know, being a professional rugby player, it's challenging, man. It's brutal. And sometimes it's just tiring, you know, pitching up mm. every single week. Not just the pressure, you know, we talk about internal pressure and external pressure. Mm. Internal, the pressure you put on yourself, that willingness to perform. And then external, your teammates that rely on you, your club that relies on you, the public, the people. But what I'm trying to get at, Joey, is there one moment in your career that was really so tough that you thought, you know, I'm not going to get out of this, whether it was an injury or just a moment where you doubted yourself. Look, we all know you were a great player, man. We're not even here to discuss that. But what interests me is like when you've experienced that dark, that darkness, all right? That's the stuff we don't talk about, that darkness, how did you yeah, get out yeah. of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gee, Coach G, I feel you, brother. And I and I think also what you're talking about is is really like going to the next level, you know, because specifically like with players and how you motivate them and 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 how you care and how you are compassionately like really listening to them and also not just seeing them as machines, but as human beings, you know? And so so yeah, brother, I, I, I actually, I went through a very dark patch 
where I was like, we had the tra uh, training camp before the World Cup. And it was actually before the, it was before the test matches and then test matches led into the World Cup in 2007. And I actually, in that training camp, what I did is two, two months before that, I'd been training so hard because I had like a meniscus injury in my knee, but I'd been training like basically lifting weights and just pumping so much weights because I wanted to be on key when we did the testing in Bloemfontein. So I was like, I was just pumping, man. Like I even, I was with Steve Mack. We were, we were training so hard. And, um, and I think what happened was because of my like actual obsession to want to push a certain weight in those tests, I actually started to niggle my, my lower back a bit. And, uh, and then when we got into the actual testing, I managed to push what I had to push. But then when I was actually pushing, I felt this like, kind of tear from the back of my like my right disc it it kind of like i felt this massive pain coming down and and in that moment it was like oh my gosh like i've done something yeah and actually what it was is i'd slipped like a disc in my lower back and so at this in this time i was like obviously i'd been with the team with you we've been the team for like four years before that you know since the last world cup with Jake, with everything. So I was like totally in the buildup. I was there. But, um, but at some point in time, uh, this injury came along. And what actually happened was I was kind of then sent home. And then I, there was no word. There was no chat. There was no nothing. And I think what happened was before that, previously, Skulk got injured and I had to move to an open side flanker. And open side flanker was never really my uh, cup of tea, you know. <laughs> it was like, it was a completely different position. It was fetching. I wasn't pronounced fetcher. I was more like roaming in number eight and seven, you know, like just kind of a more of a, sorry, eight and six, more of a, like a kind of a roaming player. Yeah. And, um, and so moving to that position, everyone started to seem like judge me on that position, you know, and, I think that that's in 2006, that's where things started to shift for me before, because then I wasn't really in my favorite position. And so, and so coming to that training camp, this injury hit. And then I was like, I was sent back home. And at that time I was just like, didn't get word of anything. And it was, it was basically a four month injury mm. uh, that I was going through. And so your yeah, brother. And so that was like kind of my world cup, dream kind of over you know and uh and obviously the team went on to win greater heights in that in that time but actually in this moment and this time what happened too is my girlfriend was like i'm leaving you <laughs> so so i had like a double whammy and then but that that was really like a massive catalyst you know i was also i was drinking a lot of alcohol then i was going out more i was you know, I was, I was, I was wild. I was completely wild. And I can see it now. I was wild. I was like not coping, as you mentioned before, not coping mm -hmm. with the stress of this anxiety of not being part of the team and not being part of something which I'd been for the whole time. But then just like, and, and as you spoke before too, who's, who's relaying, who's speaking to you, who's, who's, who's there for you for compassionately? No one, no one. So you basically left in the cold and uh, there was no communication, anything. So my mechanism of dealing with that was like, okay, I'm going to go and drink alcohol and I'm going to, I'm going to forget about this. You know, it's going to be all okay. And so, so that, but, but then both of those things, my girlfriend leaving me, not being in the 2007 world cup and drinking alcohol, all three of those things at the, at that moment was like, Oh, and sorry. So then there was another thing. There was a fourth thing. The, the fourth thing was that I had signed a contract for after this period with Northampton Saints. So, so I'd done the full medical, everything, everything was lined up. And then Northampton Saints got relegated. So then they were like, no, we can't. So then they don't, they don't call me, brother. <laughs> I'm like, would be like I've come here for a medical, and everything was was signed and sealed, and then all of a sudden we had 
coming and they say, oh, we don't know if your back is fine. And meanwhile, I did the medical. Everything was cool. They're like, oh, we don't know if your back is fine. And I think that, you, you know, you, you're a casualty. You might not be able to play further. So all in the space of like these three months, all of these things just came. And basically my contract with uh, province was over. My contract with the Springboks was over. So now there's nothing. There's no contract with Northampton Saints. And so I really had to like look internally and say, hey, okay, now what is it that you have neglected or not been putting into place the, yeah. right, uh, the right way for your play, for, for you to be the best player that you can be, for, for, the, for being the best human being that you can be, you know? And so all of those things definitely were the catalysts for regeneration, for the creation, for inspiration, uh, for more motivation to say, hey, you're only 27 years old. You don't have a contract now. This contract's fallen through. You weren't in the World Cup uh, 2007 winning team. But you know what? You are still here. You're still present. You've still got a beautiful gift from God, like this body that you can, you know, you still can put this through its paces and you can go back to basics. And so what are the basics for me? The basics were stopping alcohol, mending my relationship with my girlfriend at that time. But um, I think we still parted ways for some time. No, we, we ended up, no, we stayed together. We stayed together. Should have so had a reality was, show, brother. <laughs> <laughs> brother, so, but then, so then what happened is I got a lifeline, brother. I got a lifeline from the, from the, the Lions, where uh, Eugene Eloff was a mentor for me growing up, and he was always like a kind of a father figure, um, a beautiful man, supremely positive. You know, don't worry, Joe, come back to Johannesburg. We'll get you back in the mix. We'll get you playing. So, so yeah, just going back to going back to the basics. You know, what nutrition are you putting into your body? You know, obviously stopping alcohol was a big thing for me at that point in time. And, and then, yeah, just uh, the, the, the game itself, we know the game. You know, we've been playing it for, for years. So we know the basics of that. And, and so it, was, it basically came down to, to the basics and, and the hard work that you were going to put in to get back there again. And, and so fortunate enough for me, brother, all of that passed. I went back to the Lions. I started play played a full season of Super Rugby, and um, and yeah, I just get regained form. Did, went there for not much, like went there on like a very low salary, but that was all good. I was prepared to just go back to basics and play and and be inspired again to to come back. And so and then I got it back into the Springbok team. After that, we played. I think I played the fifty tests, and and then I got a call from Toulon. And yeah, the rest is a history. I ended up in <laughs> Toulon. And, but it put me back on track, right? Yeah. It put me back on track completely. Now, I think, you know, what's interesting that you said there, Joe, you know, a lot of people don't know this. We as rugby players, you know, for us, yes, we got paid for it. But, you know, for us, it was more than a job. You know, it was our passion. We were living our dream. You know, very few people get to live their dream. And yes, sometimes you do take it for granted. And let's be honest, at some stage, all of us, even myself included, I had a big head and you come down really hard, right? You, you get rumbled really very quickly. But, you know, you touched on something and what people don't realize with everything you experience, uh, getting injured, um, not making the, missing out on the World Cup, all right? Your girlfriend leaving you, all right? And your other contract coming in, like what they don't realize, not making a team, that's like losing a loved one. That's like someone's leaving you. When you don't make the Springbok team, once you've been there, I remember this uh, winning New Zealand in Dun Eden 2008 for the first time. Oh, yeah. I was a pain massive. I remember the photos, man. Uh, blood was coming down my face and I just had this big smile. I was so proud. It was post-World Cup, you know, finally stepping out of the shadow of Osterrand. Played Australia, Oof. didn't go too well. Come back to South Africa and we're about to go to Cape Town. And the coach pulls me aside to the village and said, uh, 
now you're not traveling with us to Cape Town. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, we just want the freaking all backs up. Uh, now you're no longer part of our plans. I'm like, boom, just like that. I almost broke out into tears, man. And uh, and and yeah. that's how much it means to us. You know, I just want to share that with with people listening today because they often think we don't appreciate it and we take it for granted, which is not the case. You know, we lose it. We just sorry for my language, just dealt with shit differently. You know, all of us, me mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, sometimes I had late nights, you know, where I should have taken it calmly, should have taken it easy. You know, when I was injured, you know, I picked up weight mm-hmm. because I was out in restaurants and, you know, having way many, too, too many drinks. That that was it. You know, it's no reason to hide behind it. That's why. So what I'm trying to do is, Joe, it's not about judging the people that were managing us or our coaches at that time. It's not about judging them. It's just trying to create awareness of the mm. needs of players. And, and that's what I'm trying to do. And that's why I also wanted to get you on just for you to share experience. But Joe, that's enough gloomy stuff now, all right? I want to go into the good stuff, man. <laughs> you went on to Toulon, <laughs> all right? You went to France. C'est le Joe Fonniger, grand Joe. Okay, you went there, man. You won some amazing titles. Can you tell me some of those titles? What, what, which ones were the most memorable? You've won the Heineken Cup. You've won the top 14. Which one stood out for you? Brother, I think that, that like, yeah, thanks so much, man. You so much wisdom coming through here. Um, yeah, I, I was like, when I, when I, when I got to Toulon, I, I was um, part of this, like, kind of galactic team. You know, when I arrived there, it was, they had just been relegated, uh, they had been uh, promoted, sorry, to the top 14. So from the second division into the, or the first division into the top 14. So, when I arrived there, I arrived there with all this energy and just super fit, super strong, ready to rumble, you know. And uh, I remember like Jerry Collins, the late Jerry Collins was, was in our team. Tano Amango was the coach and player. Wow. Um, we, we, had, we had an amazing, amazing team, even in that first year. But basically that whole year was about staying up, maintaining uh, and not dropping down to the first division again, but maintaining. And so pro de deux, I think it's your pro de deux. Yeah. But, um, but uh, I, I was actually fortunate enough after about six or seven games, I got there and was just like cooking, man. Everything was just like ball was just coming all the time. I was just, and feeling so good out there. You know, I think, I think also just with all the, with everything that was circling around in South Africa, I think it was just so good as a South African player to leave the shores and to have this new exuberant energy. Mm -hmm. Uh, No one knew about the past or what happened and these stories and all of the drama and all that stuff. And so it was coming like clean slate, you know, now you're starting off fresh and new beginning. And uh, I don't know if you experienced the same thing when you went to, to, to Toulouse. Uh, Tano Omanga is the coach. There's some in- exceptional players in the team. And, uh, and your brother, after about six games, Tano's like, calls me aside. He says, hey, man, like, do you want to be captain of this team? And I'm like, why not, bro? Let's go. <laughs> you know? I think like I was ready. I was ready at that moment to take on a leadership role, but like really take it on with full power. And, um, and then your brother, then we played, we maintained. And, um, and then the following year, um, all of these galactic stars were, were came, like the likes of Johnny Wilkinson, uh, some, a lot of other English players that came, um, and the likes of Carl Heyman. And so just these, these galactic stars that came into the team. But still, we were, we were there, thereabouts, but we didn't really, we weren't pushing for the top, you know? And, um, and so for me, this whole process, it was basically like a, a five-year process to get to winning the first Heineken Cup. And so for me, that, that meant the world to me because I'd obviously like been an integral part of that team and, and like the motivation, the inspiration, you know, even some of those team talks, the Fonglais, you know, <laughs> used to come out. <laughs> and like because it's challenging man you like you you know you know how that is like you've got an interview after your game and then you've got to like concur with the folks in French 
and you know your your Spanglish, I mean your your Fonglaise isn't always that good, you know. <laughs> so it's, I was but it's interesting. I think, yeah, what 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 we missed with vocabulary, we added with energy. You know what I mean? And and so that's was kind of always the vibe. But but um, but brother, yeah, that first Heineken Cup was was for me. It was was an exceptional process because it wasn't it was like it was like you at the bulls you know you built for for many many years and then you get to that point where it's like okay we're ready now you know and and i think that that for me was 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 like one of the best processes and to be part of that and then the the very next year went on to win the Heineken cup again as well as the um the brenners yeah for, for for me, I was part of I was part of that whole process. But towards the end, like the last six months of of my career, like I wasn't really in the mix anymore. But I was yeah. still um, I was still part of the team, and I was still like going through the processes with all of them. And uh, but but your brother, like so so grateful for that. Eh? No, it's a, but listen, it's amazing hearing uh, talking about that. You know, it comes down as well. You know. If you want to achieve something great, it takes time. We can't determine how long it's going to take. You never, you can never define whether it's a year process or two year process. I mean, if I take your journey uh, where you are now, you know, you, you disappeared off the face of the earth for like, uh, I think two years, but then boom, Big Joe is back and no longer Big Joe's Jungle Joe, you know? And I'm loving that. It's just amazing, man. Just disappearing. It's awesome. I never see like, boom, he's gone. You know, but you know, Joe, I'm not going to deep dive into that end of your your your, your transition, your end of your career, because I know that's tough, and we'll we'll get into that on another stage on another podcast. But it's just mm. amazing. Listen to your story that like you built something, you know, from being in Prodi Two and being part of that process. You know, that must make you proud, man, knowing that you have left the legacy. And you know, after our live we had a few weeks ago, you know how many Toulon supporters messaged me. All right, that's oh, big oh wow. yeah, yeah, big Joe, enough, million arms, and legend. <laughs> you know, it was just amazing. You know, so you, I can tell you, it's just getting goosebumps now, man. You have made a mm. massive impact on the lives of those people, right? You know, that um, mm. you were like that urban legend, like the big Joe. I always talk about the Bigfoot, you know, does he exist, doesn't he really? You know, you weren't a Bigfoot, you were Big Joe, but you were leaving your mark wherever you were made, whether it's on the field, off the field, with the public, and just, man, that says a lot about you with all that messages that came through. People can say what I want to say. We all make mistakes. We all stuff up at times in our career or do things we shouldn't do, and we might have been idiots. Mm. But what counts mm. is how the people remember you. And, man, I can tell you now mm -hmm. that people remember you, all right? They remember for the role you played in Toulon, for who you were. And I know where you're coming from. At the end of your career, I experienced something similar when playing at Toulouse. You know, unfortunately, that's part of the vicious cycle of the rugby life, the rugby career, when your career comes to an end, when there's the turnaround. But I do believe it can be managed better. And I think we both didn't really experience that. Could have been managed better. But, you know, we are grateful for some great things. But listen, Joe, we need to deep dive in some other things, man, which I think is very important. Mm. We spend sure, a lot of time, and I actually didn't want to spend this much time of the rugby, but it's just it's just showing you respect and acknowledging as well your journey as a rugby player, what you've achieved. You achieve great things, brother. You know, I've always respect you as a rugby player and as a teammate, but man, mm. I respect you even more today as a human being. So I would like to know what the heck, how the hell did you end up in Costa Rica, and why didn't you invite me, man? Come on. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> Brother, first of all, you're invited any stage you want to come, for sure. Hands down, brother, hands down. Like also, it's just like your heart and, and your and your vibration also. I'm so grateful for that, brother, because you know, like as men too, you know, like people we're taught like not to be vulnerable. Mm. And it's kind of like we're human beings, as you mentioned before, but like specifically as men you know that were warriors and uh, and you know I, I always feel like when when two men meet and they can be vulnerable and have conversation and deep dive into maybe topics that maybe they think oh okay my ego doesn't want to go there you know but like actually you know being vulnerable is actually a strength uh, and and I suppose like when we've been put in into these kind of establishments and we 
we've got to be a certain way and we've got to be tough, you know? And, and so, but yeah, brother. So just to mention, how did, how did we get you? Yeah, man. I, I literally, as you said, I went off the, Sorry, the German, planet. Sorry, German, interrupt you. Because some people said you actually got there by boat or did you go by plane? If you can maybe just <laughs> clarify that for us. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing is, man, like I want to tell you this funny story because uh, I, I, was, I was like, so I was in my, my transformation, my complete transformation because after playing, obviously, you know, now all of a sudden you know you're not revered you're not talked about you you kind of start slipping away and um and me specifically i allowed that to happen i didn't try to hang on to anything i just like let go and um and you're delved into these spiritual practices but um i was i was actually out the one day and this was in my basically in the two months that i was in uh, two years that i was in solitude so I went off all social media. I kind of cut everything. I didn't even go to games. I just was like completely out. And then, and then there was this photo, you know. <laughs> Someone captured me from the side, but but I was looking. I like. I mean, I lost a lot of weight. I, I lost. I think I lost like twenty kgs off the plane, and uh, and I lost it very rapidly, you know. And so, so they caught this picture of me from the side. And uh, I, I remember because I met with AJ Fenter, like I think about a year ago, like we did a podcast together and, um, and he said, hey, Jokey, I just wanted to ask you, man, like what, what happened to you in that period? Because he said, he said the, the, the people back in South Africa were wondering, you know, <laughs> they looked, they said, hey, is Joe Fanikak, is he sick or what's going on? And I heard via the grapevine, oh, he's got like, He's got some disease. He's out. He's done. And um, and so it was very funny for me because it was it was actually a massive lesson as well. Because in the past, you know, you know, if someone sees you like overweight or they take a picture of you and then you're ostracized in the press or something happens and people see that and they're like, oh, but like look at him and look at what he looks like and da 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 da. But I actually was like really internally, I was doing the work. So when I heard messages like that coming from outside, I was kind of like, wait a minute, yeah. there's no reaction to this. I'm not having a reaction of like, oh, what are those people saying to me? You know, like maybe before I'd even done any work on myself, I would have been like, oh, like very offended by that and, and got myself worked up and even got angry and frustrated. And why are they talking about me in this way? And then, like, because I remember Mark Yohane, he wrote an article back in the day, 24, he said Springbok slobs or something like this. Some, some article was about Springbok slobs and it was just the slating article about all of us or not all of us, but some of us. And in that day, I remember that the, actually the, the, <laughs> the, the absolute, how could he write something like this, you know? And but it was interesting, brother, because two years down the line after playing, I, I actually didn't have any reaction towards it. I was almost like, oh wow, they're speaking about me in this way. Oh, okay. That's okay. You know, whatever. It would it would didn't even hit me. It didn't even like concern me from where I was. And that also showed me that when you start to dissolve the ego and when you don't like hold on to your identity as a rugby player it's actually a smoother transition and then you can move into whatever other field you want but but this really showed me where i was on my path so it was actually a blessing in disguise whereas before it would have been like what they're talking about me in this way that's bullshit you know it's bs it's bs it's not true <laughs> so so yeah so that was based that, that was those two years and then I came on search for, uh, you know, obviously coming onto a spiritual path, recognizing that I wanted my life to be organic, that I wanted to put organic products into my body, that I really became like health conscious about a lot of things and kind of brought more awareness, uh, started more meditative life um, and, and um, you are just like really, really going back inside to find answers, you know, and that question really came up for me is like, who am I? 
um, after after I'd finished because after finishing because it was like one of those questions that was coming up a lot for me is like who am I actually you know because all of these years I've been Joe the rugby player but but now who am I really and and so I feel like that process for me was absolutely essential and that led me to Costa Rica actually um, and actually to where I am right now here at Rama Organica. Man. The, when I, I think we definitely need to have a second podcast because this, we, we, there's so much stuff to diving. So I'm just going to officially announce this. This is part one. Okay, so now let's carry on. Joe, man, what I like that you said there is, now, you know, is letting go of your rugby identity. So, And I think that's important. Mm. Not so much about letting go of you. You need to find a new identity. You need to find mm. your purpose. And, and I love that you found something you wanted to take care of your body. And and this morning I had a session and, you know, I'm always, and I was saying, being a leader, and this is what who you are today as well, and you've always been a leader, you know, leadership's a lonely path. These are the words of Nathan Albert, you know, it's a lonely path. And mm. sometimes when you're giving energy to people, you know, it can be draining. When you're trying to inspire people, it can take a massive toll out of you. You know, when I do lives, mm. I lose my stuff and like, and I'll see people like, oh, you crazy? Yes, I am crazy. I don't care, man. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not a normal coach. I don't want to be normal. Who wants to be normal? That's boring. All right. I'm bold, <laughs> colorful, round, and I'm happy, you know? But... the biggest thing... <laughs> the biggest uh, thing, Joe, is it's about figuring out who you are, you know, and being comfortable in your own skin. I think that's the, that's the important. And, you know, this morning we're in an amazing room, all right, on Clubhouse, and I'm eventually going to get you onto it. And we had this amazing phrase, do the things you are afraid of. And mm. the death mm. of fear is certain. So do the things you are afraid of. And the death of fear is certain. Wow. So that, that, that's, that's crazy. Just getting goosebumps thinking about that. It's like, you know, and I'm sure you was in that moment, you know, when you stopped, you came to terms with it, and you maybe had an idea of what you were going to do. And it's just like taking that first step. You know, and the, you, you see this in the back, your past. You're like, I achieved these great things. I was this amazing rugby player. Okay, I've, I've got, mm. I know what I want to do, where I want to go, but will I have the same impact? And, and you know, you, mm. you've seen this with rugby mm. players that retire. They've got great jobs or whatever, but they're not happy. And, you know, I'm always telling mm. guys, find something so that you, you mm. can be, you remind yourself of who you were as a rugby player, that feeling, mm. Mm. and you need to find that as well in after rugby. You know, and people, mm. and sometimes people might not agree with what people don't agree with a lot of things I do doing these body weight, mm. these animal movements. Like, gee, you're crazy. You just look stupid, man. And I'm like, yeah, brother, I don't care, man. Pigs can't fly, but they can move. All right. They can move. Yeah. That's, that's the main thing. And, and that's what I love what you're doing, Joe. But I think, you know, I'm going all over the place, but it's just, I want to cover so much. But what right. I want to ask you is like, what advice would you give to rugby players today? Now, like anything, it doesn't have to be rugby related, can be love. What advice would you give them today, which can help them to move forward? So I think that like, obviously, if we're talking about, uh, if we're talking about like the transition for, for them at the end of their careers. Yeah. I think that that, that, that is a, is a crucial part of their lives. You know, I mean, just like any business person or someone that's been doing something in their lives for a very long time. I think that 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 period of time is is so crucial and just just purely like as you said before I think that players get to the end of their careers and um and they kind of this this game that they've been playing been putting all their whole like you know what it takes we know what it takes to you on a daily basis you're putting everything out there for this game and so when they come to the end of their careers, that then is lost. And so there, there is this, obviously, that a lot of fear that could come in, a lot of doubt. Um, and so I think that, that that's really one of the biggest things is, is once again, regaining 
a passion, regaining for what you're passionate about. For me, it was spirituality. I became totally passionate about spirituality. And I actually saw how my ego then became a spiritual ego. And what I mean is like, I took my rugby ego that I had in rugby and that was transferred then to become the best meditator. And so through this process, I actually, you know, in a lot of these spiritual practices and my master is uh, Sri Muji, is like they, they are actually wanting to dissolve any form of identity. So that's from a spiritual perspective. We both know that when you're in a sport or when you're in an organization, you do have a sense of identity attached to whatever it is you are. If you're a coach or if you whatever, there's, there is some form of identity. So in these practices, it's basically dissolving that which you think you are. And that process of actually um, uh, going, going through a process of like dissolving more and more and more of that and then allowing more and compassion, more love, more of these things to come back into your, into your life. Um, and so, but, but, but that's, that's the one thing. So, so if we're still in, um, if we're transitioning as a player, we definitely need to find something that we're passionate about, you know? And, uh, and so that I think also ties into like players with like suicidal or depression or things mm -hmm. like that is that maybe once they've, they've stopped, initiating all of these feel-good chemicals too because as you know if you don't get a good punch of what you need to do in your physically in your day then you're not releasing these kind of uh chemicals into your body and so if normally with people with depression if they're going through this this phase and they've come to the end as a rugby player or a sports person they aren't probably motivated to want to train or want to mm. get out there and sort of shift that energy and so I think that that's, that's a very crucial part of any of these players coming to the end of their career. Um, I think that, that you said it earlier, for players that are basically there now, you know, you can have all the talent in the world, but at some point, you know, you've got you've to put the hard yards in. And um, you as Coach G, I know that those players, and by the way, I love your primal exercises and the stuff that you spoke about because that is actually the functionality that's the the base of all training that we do so if 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 you're focused in on the primal aspect of it like you're taking those players to a different feel actually because you're giving them what the base is of every human movement and so then they can then they can go and do their weights or they can do their strength but they, that other aspect is incorporated into their routine which is a beautiful thing so i think that what you're doing is amazing <laughs> and um <laughs> but but i would say that for players that are coming through at some point you may be the most talented player but you're always going to have to go back to the drawing board and you're always going to have to tick tick those boxes you know and and uh and and keep reminding yourself that you know if this is something that you really want in your life um, then, you know, you've got to put in the hard yards. Joe, yeah, that's unbelievable. Thanks for sharing that, man. I think, you know, like the same friendship for conservation question, uh, you know, we always need to ask ourselves and be honest, keep ourselves accountable. But man, there's so many things we're going to deep dive. I just want to, before we finish everything off, tell me, man, I know you're mm -hmm. hosting some awesome retreats and, and obviously things have been impacted by COVID. What's currently happening at the moment now? What are you currently doing? You mentioned the last time on the Instagram live, you launching a new application. So if you can tell us a bit more about that. Sure, sure. Thank you so much for asking. Yes, we, we obviously with the retreat space, we had it now for four and a half years and we were running transformational retreats. So that was like people would come here and they would do for, uh, transformational retreats with us, working with different plant medicines, uh, different breathing techniques, meditation, yoga, um, all of the things related to like becoming optimal in your health, as well as recognizing like the deeper truths. And so, and so what, what has shifted now for us, because obviously with COVID is that we, we, we're turning it into something virtual and we've been working very, very hard for the last year on a program that we, we will be sharing through a virtual retreat. 
and that and then obviously with the added extra of this application that our team has been really working hard on will in ignite that retreat why because it will allow for these people to interact um it will allow them to have functionality you know things like trackers on a daily basis affirmations different things that we want to share through that application um but it's it's basically how do we take our ancestral wisdom and merge that with modern times because there's a ton of positive things in our modern day there are a ton but but have we not forgotten the elders and our ancestors and the wisdom that they share and the wisdom that they on a daily basis were living on this planet too much more in communion with nature um in in communion with each other with their communities and so and so it's basically tapping into that wisdom and merging that with modern times because there's 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 extremely positive things now that are happening on the planet and the technology everything we wouldn't be able to connect in this way if it wasn't so and so there's there's a there's a ton of positivity that we can bring from that but i think that it's like going back to our roots too you know simple it's really very simple you know to 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 optimize health and um something as simple as being in the sun you know it's it's it, it, at the right time um can can really invigorate your health in a in a massive way and it's a really simple thing so that's just one aspect of it but delving into different breathing techniques meditation um and then obviously the primal patterns which is also a massive part of this and uh, and then function functional exercise um a high interval intensity training um all of this added together with re- related and then also sharing nutrition but going back for what our ancestors used to be eating and and tapping into your own intuitive sense of what you should be putting into your body and so the 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 whole structure of this is basically we pinpointing people that could potentially be on the path already you know they could they could have arrived at like good health or they could be on a spiritual path or they could be really struggling on the on their path you know um or coming up against resistance obstacles and so our basically our role would be to bring these people into our retreats and to inspire to motivate from a compassionate standpoint but then also to teach some of these principles from our um from our ancestors and from uh, like an ancestral lifestyle basically and then merging that with where we are now um with all the wonderful things that we've created as modern a modern society in a sense and putting those two things together joe wow i've been making so many notes right now and uh, it's official this is only the first part in the jungle joe series with coach g all right man i want to i'm really intrigued by that no seriously you know you're talking about modern times combined with ancestral wisdom i definitely want to know more about that and i know a lot of people that would love to know more about that so i would definitely in your busy schedule if you come back to join about to finish off this podcast joe is there any way that the audience that's listening to this podcast can contact you which is the best way to get in touch with you i think uh the the best way is through uh jungle joe 333 on insta they can dm me uh hit me up like any any time and um as i say brother we 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 basically in a process now probably looking at i mean i don't want to really give timeline but we probably in about 6 weeks to 8 weeks uh we'll be we'll be sharing this retreat it'll be a free retreat and um and uh, anyone is welcome to register register with us and uh, and then from that moment on we'll be yeah we'll be we'll be uh uh growing through that process yeah i'm hoping by this, uh, the time that some people are listening to this podcast that it's uh, already massive and so if you are listening to this today 
you know, I'll be adding his Instagram handle into the description of the podcast. So you can just click on it and reach out to Joe. I know he's eager to get on a chat. And like, we've been going for an hour. I said to myself before this podcast, 35 minutes max. But I should have known. It's not going to be the case. Not with this man over here. <laughs> but Joe, I just want to say, man, it's been unbelievable speaking to you. Looking forward to our next one. I definitely want to deep dive into your journey, you know, after rugby, you know. I really wanted you to, to also relive some of those great, great moments, not about just reliving the past, the glory days, but reminding yourself that you achieved great things and that mm. you will achieve even greater things now in life after rugby. So I just wanted to take you on the journey. This podcast for me is more than just connecting with guys, but it's also taking you on a journey, taking you where you mm. used to be, what you're capable of doing and knowing that you still have that greatness. You don't have to be on a rugby field to unlock that power within yourself. But anyway, brother, I'm going to get all emotional, all carried away. I just want to say thank you, my man. Thank you for joining us. And thanks for joining my new podcast, Coach J. All right, the crazy coach doing all the crazy movements. My man, much love, respect. Get in touch, brother. Boom. Get in touch. Coach G, yes. <laughs> inspirational, brother. Inspirational. Thank awesome. you so much, bro. Like, yeah, I think you, you're also, brother, you're, you're doing incredible work and uh, I'm super inspired by your path, by the, the way that you, you know, since you stopped playing and this, just the energy that you give, the inspiration, the motivation, um, and then also just this wisdom, you know, the wisdom that's coming forth. I think that, that you as, as a coach are, are going to just go from strength to strength because of this kind of, just this subtle changes in understanding you know understanding your players and the people that are you know joining in and and uh, and following you and this so it's really it's inspirational brother and i appreciate being here with you in the space um and i look forward to more awesome stuff thanks brother great to have you my man awesome stuff Wow, what an amazing episode with my man, Jungle Joe. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Please rate this episode and leave a review. I would like to know what you think and also take a screenshot and send it to me. So guys, this is another episode on my podcast, Coach G, Transforming Athletes and Purpose Driven People. If there is anything that you would like me to discuss on this podcast, please let me know. I would really appreciate that. And keep on following me on social media and subscribe to this podcast so that you can be notified as soon as new episodes will be launched. This is me. I'm Coach G. I'm done speaking. Get a touch. Boom.